0: This is the audio from a Voices for Scotland event called A New Currency for a New Country. The debate tends to move us on from the old question of what currency will you use, which has been comprehensively answered. It'll be a Scots pound and looks more at, okay, what are the practicalities for bringing that about? What do we need to put in place? What are the timescales? Chaired by Corey Wilson, the speakers are Peter Ryan, Tim Rideout, Karen Van Sweden and Robbie Mochran, and there are also some questions from the audience at the end. You can also watch the video version of this event on Indie
1: Live Radio's YouTube channel. So the plan tonight is that we've got Peter Ryan who's going to open up and then we will have Tim Rideout and Karen Van Sweden who will come in with a reply then obviously Peter will get the right to reply to what they've said. Um, Robbie Morkin is going to come in uh, with a sort of commentary on what's been said and then we'll open the floor to questions and answers. The first person we're going over to is Peter Ryan. Um, Welcome Peter and he's going to tell us his plans.
2: I'm looking at this as how you would introduce a new currency rather than whether you would or wouldn't introduce a new currency partly just because that's what I do, I you know, I make changes to IT systems, I run projects and so on. So I look at it from a slightly different perspective to, to some of the other people that have spoken about this in the past. So introducing a new currency will need careful planning. We owe it to the Scottish people to reduce risk. One of the easiest ways of reducing this risk is to break it into smaller pieces. A currency isn't a single thing. It's a group of different types of money legally bound together to offer an equivalent value and units of account. So the money in your bank account or the cash in your pocket are different types of money. We should use these different parts of a new currency to introduce them independently and avoid risk. However, when planning this, we also need to identify the dependencies within the transition process. For example, we cannot have a central bank until a Currency Act has provided a legal basis for one, and we cannot have a Currency Act until there's been a successful vote for independence. So there's a plan, there's a series of dependencies within the plan. However, we should not wait until after independence to begin this process. With the existing powers the Scottish Government has today, he could introduce a Scottish Payments Initiation Service. This would allow the Scottish Government and Scottish councils to begin to accept payments. This would work the same way as the service that's just been introduced to pay your taxes by bank transfer um, by the HMRC. Now, they've already accepted over a billion pounds worth of, of payments, saving the government probably in the region of one to two million pounds. So, yeah, this is something we could do today. However, there are steps we can't do until, until we've won an independence referendum. For example, passing a Currency Act to put in place a legal framework for a Scottish currency, registering Scotland and the Scottish currency with the International Standards Organisation so that Scottish money and bank accounts are recognised by IT systems. We need to set up a Scottish central bank to manage the new currency and act as the banking regulator. Once these steps have been completed we can begin introducing the different types of money. I'll start with cash. The process for cash is is well defined. It's agreed design on the notes and coins, manufacture them, distribute them to, to banks and ATM operators. This is a a process that happens regularly to avoid fraud. So once the Scottish Central Bank is established, we could start issuing notes and coins. This will continue throughout the transition process rather than waiting until the, the end of the process. Doing this has several advantages. The rollout of the Scottish currency will gain momentum. As people begin to touch and feel the new currency, they will gain confidence in its use. Introducing a new coin or note once every three months means we will not overload business by changing everything in one go. And many jurisdictions issue their own notes and coins whilst continuing to use sterling. Jersey, Guernsey, and the Isle of Man will do this. This activity helps pay for their banking regulator. So it would be in Scotland's interest to begin issuing notes and coins as soon as possible. This we could be used to pay for the Scottish Central Bank and pay some of the costs towards setting up a new currency. And I think that notes and coins should be issued by the Scottish Central Bank. Issuing notes and coins is profitable, and those profits should pay for the costs of running the Scottish Central Bank rather than paying a dividend to shareholders. So in the Currency Act, I would legislate that the Central Bank would be the sole issuer of the Scottish currency. Moving on to commercial banks there's a greater risk associated with the conversion of loans and accounts held with commercial banks such as NatWest, Lloyds or Virgin Money. The decision of a commercial bank to take out a Scottish banking license would be based on the potential profits from offering banking services to the Scottish people. While we can expect that banks established in Scotland will offer accounts in the new Scottish currency, there is no certainty this will be the case. What is certain is that we need a legal separation between Scottish and UK bank accounts. This is required irrespective of the currency to be used. You need to know what country's laws apply to a bank account, which banking regulator oversees the bank account, and whether things like sanctions apply to that country. To facilitate this separation, I believe the Scottish Government should create an app to allow customers to request their bank accounts and loans be treated as Scottish, and denominated in the Scottish currency. If the bank offered Scottish currency accounts, then the bank would process the request to change the currency. If it did not, then the bank would give the customer the option to switch to a bank that did offer Scottish currency accounts. Commercial banks do not have a good track record of meeting deadlines. Most UK banks mandated by the Competitions and Markets Authority to open up customer account data missed the January 2018 deadline. And the new UK payment system is already behind schedule. It is unlikely that every bank that wants a Scottish banking licence will be ready on a date dictated by the Scottish Government. However, we should not delay the introduction of the Scottish currency because the banks are not ready. To incentivise commercial banks, we should allow banks to start offering Scottish currency accounts when they're ready to do so. This will foster competition between the banks. Banks that take longer could lose out on market share due to the switching mechanism in the app. Now, the Sustainable Growth Commission said that as loans and mortgages are commercial contracts, a change of currency would not be possible without the agreement of both parties. However, the report failed to mention that because of Brexit, we have lost rights to convert our mortgage to the currency of our income. As part of the Currency Act, we should reinstate that right. So anyone whose income is in the new Scottish currency could convert their mortgage to the new Scottish currency. Remember, banks do not want to offer loans or mortgages where the currency of the loan is different to the the currency of the borrower's income. This is because this type of foreign currency loan attracts greater risk. So my expectation would be that banks will change the currency of a loan or mortgage to be the same as the borrower's income. It's in the interest of both the bank and the borrower. So I think this whole debate about loans and mortgages is something that's that's a complete distraction from what really happens in the banking world. The transition of money held by financial institutions at the Bank of England is where there are more open questions, particularly as the definition and form of central bank money is going through a period of change. As any financial institution taking out a Scottish banking licence will need to hold central bank money, we can map out a, a possible process, though there are doubts around the actual steps involved. The Scottish central bank will need an IT system to support the accounts of banks and other financial services companies. These accounts are needed to support their financial activities in Scotland, such as holding capital, settling payments, borrowing money to support liquidity shortfalls and so on. As banks gain Scottish banking licences, they will make deposits with the Scottish Central Bank and need to convert capital held in sterling or other currencies into Scottish currency-denominated assets such as Scottish Government bonds. This will be done through the Scottish Central Bank as the issuer of the Scottish currency. For example, a UK bank that needs to hold assets worth 10 billion Scottish pounds to back its Scottish banking activities would convert 10 billion sterling withdrawn from the Bank of England to Scottish pounds held at the Scottish Central Bank. They would keep some money on deposit to support their day-to-day processing, for example settling payments between you or I, and invest the rest in something like Scottish Government bonds because they would get a return on that um, lending. The result would be a deposit of 10 billion sterling in the S- Central Bank of Scotland, which could, be, could contribute to foreign currency reserves. <laughs> One billion Scottish pounds held in Scottish Central Bank money and nine billion Scottish pounds worth of Scottish Government bonds held by the bank. It should be borne in mind that as the Scottish banking system is set up, there'll be a market for safe Scottish denominated investment. The Scottish Government could borrow on relatively cheap terms during this period. The Scottish Government should plan for this, as in in future the cost of borrowing could rise. This is an opportunity to invest for the long-term benefit of Scotland, for example, funding a green transition of the economy, which would be wasted if no plan was in place. Up until now, I've looked at existing forms of money, However, it is important to make a plan that's forward-looking. For this reason, I would introduce a central bank digital currency, as most other central banks would be introducing central bank digital currencies over the period of Scottish independence. I would make this central bank digital currency available to individual Scottish consumers and look to set up a financial health service where... Each Scottish citizen is allowed to have money, in central bank money, therefore protecting themselves from any future banking crisis. So for this reason, a financial health service would, could be put in place, and that would be the basis of a new social contract after independence. However, we also need to mitigate risks, not just to individuals, but to the whole economy. For this reason, I would give the Scottish Central Bank an inflation rate target and a net zero investment target for the bank it regulates. This will ensure an independent Scotland has an economy that invests for the future rather than invests in a fossil fuel era that's coming to an end. Any transition plan needs to be forward-looking and take existing and future risks and opportunities into account. The world will not stand still and neither should our plan. I hope this has given you some insight to sort of the, the planning and, and activities that would be involved in transitioning to a new Scottish currency. Thank you. Thank you very much.
3: Well, I'm the convener of the Scottish Currency Group, and uh, you know, we have a, a plan for bringing in the Scottish currency, which is slightly different to Peter's, I mean, I do have to thank Peter for the fact that it was his 2016 plan that got me started on thinking about currency. Uh, because uh, that was not, uh, well, we had a lot of uh, mistakes or flaws in it. Uh, and uh, I'll just say, you know, we agree on some things. Uh, we agree that Scotland should have its own currency ASAP. Uh, we re- agree that the Scottish Reserve Bank will automatically end up with lots of foreign reserves. Uh, we agree that sterlingisation would be extremely dangerous, and as Robbie Mockery has pointed out, no advanced economy has ever tried to use somebody else's currency. Um, you know, I think it would collapse in after, within a couple of years. And uh, we agree that Scotland must have its own bank payment system. And obviously somebody like Peter is exactly the sort of person we need uh, to work on that uh, and ensure that it uh, operates effectively. Now, beyond that, unfortunately, the plan that Peter's has produced, it has a deeply flawed understanding of money uh, and you know, differences between things like base money, and which is Bank of England's money, and the the bank money that is in commercial banks. You really need to have a look at the paper, which is on the SIC website. I think it's paper number six, uh, because otherwise you won't really understand what I'm just gonna quickly sort of rush through in a couple of minutes. But um, so far as the central bank is concerned, commercial banks have a reserve account at the central bank and it's where the bank keeps its own money. Uh, So the Royal Bank of Scotland, for example, in its last accounts, it had 27 billion uh, in the Bank of England. Uh, And that's the money that it uses when you instruct somebody to pay, you know, when you instruct the bank to pay somebody in Barclays, then the money you asked to to pay gets moved between the Royal Bank of Scotland and Barclays uh, by going as a transfer at the Bank of England from one reserve account to another reserve account. The reserve accounts contain base money which just circulates around the Bank of England, and it is not possible to withdraw it from the Bank of England. So the bit about... Uh, the banks withdrawing their money from the Bank of England uh, and changing it into Scottish Pounds doesn't work. That's not how it's going to happen. We also need to consider the commercial bank money. And uh, you can't separate the commercial bank money, so what's in your bank account uh, or your loan account, uh, from the reserve accounts at at the central bank. The two are integral and linked closely to each other. So the way that the exchange has to work, firstly, The banks have to split into two legally separate banks. So there'll be a UK bank and a Scottish bank. So Santander would have Santander UK, the existing bank. They have a brand new bank called Santander Scotland. I instruct Santander to to change £1,000 into £1,000 Scottish. So Santander debit my account with £1,000 and they credit their internal representation of their reserve account. Meanwhile, a simultaneous transaction at the Bank of England debits Santander uh, with £1,000 and credits the Scottish Reserve Bank account at the Bank of England with the £1,000. Meanwhile, in Edinburgh, the Scottish Reserve Bank credits Santander's reserve account with £1,000 Scottish, and Santander then credits my new Scottish pound account with £1,000 Scottish. So there is no connection between the two commercial banks. They're entirely separate legal entities. The £1,000 ended up belonging to the Scottish Reserve Bank, but it is still in an account at the Bank of England. So it hasn't gone anywhere. It's just moved round. That's the process that happens. It's not up to the banks. They're just following the instructions of their customers. So that's how the Scottish Reserve Bank ends up with a large amount of sterling. It's our sterling that just moves uh, across. What Peter's plan does is to re-denominate accounts and you simply can't do that. There are two separate legal entities. You can't remove the sterling from the English entity without a mechanism for transferring it to the Scottish entity and a bank in Scotland can't hold sterling any more than a bank in England can hold Scottish pounds. Uh, it just doesn't work. As far as the loans are concerned, the, the people's mortgages and personal loans have to stay as they are until such time as they remortgage or acquire a new loan. So if I deal with my mortgage, I would ask Santander to uh, issue me with a 100,000 Scottish pound mortgage, and I use the 100,000 Scottish pounds to transfer it back to Santander UK, where it then pays off my UK mortgage. That's the process. So there's two flows going on. There's one money coming into Scotland from our deposits and our assets, and there's another flow going out, which is settling old sterling debts. And at the end of the process, given we have about 200 billion, uh, there's going to be something like 50 billion that ends up as the reserves of the Scottish Reserve Bank. The transition period should be fairly short in that I, when I say transition period, I mean the introduction of the currency. You can't have two currencies operating in parallel for years and years because one always loses out. And we do have to have a, a, a start date, what I call currency date. That's the date after which the Scottish government makes payments and receives taxes only in the new currency. doesn't mean you can't use sterling after that date, because you can, but it then becomes the official currency of the state. And I'm afraid contracts follow the law of the land, uh, and that means that when both parties are Scottish, then any references to sterling would simply be replaced by S pound instead. Now, you can't have a situation where a tenancy agreement has to be paid in sterling because the landlord won't accept that you change the contract to Scottish pounds. So I'll let uh, Karen uh, take over and I'm sorry I had to be so quick.
4: Hi so I'm Karen van Sweden and I'm at Modern Money Scotland and Scotonomics so we're hoping to uh, help people to understand currency and the fact that uh, in an independent Scotland when we have our own currency we do not need to have um involuntary unemployment and we can have the nice things that we want like a national health service so i agree with peter about the preparation we need to prepare now but there were a lot of things in the paper that i disagree with so first and foremost i think there there seems to be a misunderstanding that the bank of england is uh, independent the bank of england is not an independent entity it is an arm of the british government the british government instructs the bank of england to credit accounts this is how it works bank of england is not independent It, it 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 works on interest rates independently. So I just want to bring this quote to the audience as well. Confucius said that when words lose their meaning, people lose their freedom, and I think that the British people in general have lost their freedom because of the misuse of words. And so it is with the nouns that we use to describe the, the currency supply in this country. We use the two words debt and deficit, and this implies something which we all view as bad. And that is not the case debts and deficits in a in the sense of a currency and a currency creator are not bad things so the, the, they're inaccurate descriptors i would say for something that the uk government is the monopoly issuer of so the uk government does not borrow in inverted commas its own currency this is a nonsense and we have to avail ourselves of this thinking especially those who want independence for scotland because Um, we must absolutely have our own currency. Uh, There is also within this paper the looming bogeyman that is called the markets. And uh, I think the markets are given way too much importance within our mainstream media and by a a, a large section of the political uh, class as well. Its importance is overstated in the sense that I feel it's a a population controller um, and that's no bearing on reality. So the markets don't decide on the interest rates. The central bank decides on the interest rates, and as I say, the central bank is an arm of government, so essentially the government decides on that. So we must have our own currency to be independent. Currency is the policy tool of our future politicians. Without it, they cannot enact policy. They must be in control of that currency in order to enact the policy. And then at the other end of that, they have to have the real resources to enact policy with that currency. Um, Our currency must be a free-floating fiat currency. Important to say that, remember, our pound note is, in fact, only a note. That's really important. Um, There are a couple of misunderstandings, notable ones, in this paper. For me, personally, having a Scottish currency would lead to cheaper borrowing for the Scottish Government. So, yes, as I say, the, uh, the central bank decides on the interest rates. It's not the markets that decide on the interest rates. The central bank decides. And then that we uh, there's some sustainable growth commission thinking coming in here that we have to honour a debt, and that the Scottish government has to build up a record of debt. The Scottish government will become the monopoly issuer of our own currency in Scotland. And again, it, if it decides to have bonds, it will pay the interest on bonds by currency that it is the monopoly issuer of. And this is how a free floating fiat currency. Uh, operates uh, within a government. So when we have these tools in place, we can have full employment, we can have the ecological changes that we want to make, that I know that the majority of people in this country do want to make. And I, I would suggest that it's really important that as many of us as possible work on these papers. So don't reject advice from other people, take on board lots and lots of different voices. When you're writing papers as well because everyone's got something to say that's important and not that many people i i realize from being in a political party are interested in policy so if you get people that are interested in policy and especially this economics which a lot of people find deeply boring and but it's actually really important you know grab those people with both hands and pull them in and ask them what they think about things. So uh, going forward, I think it's really important that people that are interested in this work together and uh, work through some of the myths that have been promulgated by the British government, I would argue, to put the fear of God (laughs) as an atheist into the people so that they are afraid to ask for nice things like a national health service to ask for full employment and to ask for a Green New Deal. We can have all of these things when we become independent and we can only be independent when we have our own currency. Um, I'm just under five
1: minutes. Okay, that's all I've got to say. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Um, So we're over to Robbie now.
5: Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Um, I would have to say that uh, I really enjoyed reading not just Peter's paper six, but also his paper four for the Scottish Independence Convention. And I think that it is uh, a very important um, step forward that we're actually having discussions which are like this. As we've been going through, I've been making some notes. And I suppose that one of the first things that I want to say is that Peter seems to be um, concentrating very much on the payment services which banks provide. And I think that really reflects in some ways his background and his the way that he comes into thinking about banking. Particularly, I thought that when he was talking about the idea of a Scottish payment system, which could be set up just now, and then talks about a payment system which um, the UK government government has, and a whole billion pounds has gone through that. Um, This is tiny, you know, it's it's a lot of money to, to us, I'm sure, a billion pounds, but it's a tiny amount when we're actually comparing that with the flow through other payment systems. And I thought that actually that what Peter was essentially doing was saying, well, here are ways in which I can help the Scottish Government or the Scottish Central Bank to set up payment systems. Knowing a little bit more about his work, I would have to say that I think that the most disappointing thing in some ways in what in, in actually in the form of peter's presentation was that he's got some really interesting material and he started to draw out ideas about that a central bank digital currency for example is essentially um, giving people uh, in effect is like giving an electronic wallet the design of these digital currencies is going to be important in all sorts of ways for example in china um, the authoritarian state wants to know exactly what you are doing with your digital currency. I imagine that in a country like Germany, which is extremely concerned to protect privacy, then the, the digital currency will be designed in such a way that the, that, that the central bank will not be able to tell where the money is being spent. It will remain like having notes and coins in a wallet. Those of us, those people who work in the black economy, will no doubt want to have something much more like the German digital currency. He also then mentioned the idea of a financial health service. And I I must admit that at this point, I did think that he was starting to go more into Tim's um, area of expertise, perhaps, where, where he was starting to think about the protection for the citizens, but not actually mentioning that the protection for citizens is already there At the moment, though, what happens is that the protection for citizens is wrapped up within protection for the banks, so that when there is a bank crisis, the people who suffer most are not the bankers. They crash the economy, they get to effectively get out out of the crashed car and walk away, it seems. So um, there's a whole load of stuff which Peter was starting to get to, which I think is really interesting and important. Um, And I think that the idea of a a dual mandate, uh, I mean, the Federal Reserve in the United States, for example, has something of a dual mandate already. It has to look at both inflation and also it has to consider um, broader economic conditions around full employment. Now, um, I would have to say that the way that that mandate has been interpreted, much greater weight is put on the control of inflation than on full employment. But I think that this idea that the central bank can have a broader mandate is something which is important and which needs much greater discussion. Tim, I thought, was very nice in the way that he um, first of all thanked Peter while making it quite clear that there were very substantial disagreements and I suppose that what I was picking up as I was listening to Tim was much more that he is not thinking about, purely about banks in terms of payment systems, but he's also thinking about banks in terms of intermediation services. What is happening with savings and loans? And so Tim is really interested in effectively in the accounting transactions which are taking place within banks. I've got great, you know, I I thought that it was quite interesting that when he was talking about base money, um, he was, uh, you know, that that 27 billion pounds of the Royal Bank um, has on reserves is about a quarter of its assets quarter of its assets are held effectively in cash with the central bank, but it doesn't get to just go over holding that voluntarily. Rather, that amount is worked out through arrangements with the Bank of England at the moment to say, well, given the business which you are doing, we believe this is the amount of money that you, this is the amount of money which you need to hold with us, the the deposits which you have to hold with us uh, in order to be able to uh, continue trading. Now, Actually, what is happening is much more along the lines that that money is there within the the, the system. The Bank of England can create more money at will, as Karen has pointed out. Um, And as the Bank of England is creating more money, that allows the banking system to expand. I think that it is very important that we do need UK and Scottish banks and I think that this is important and I would have liked Tim to have made even more of this particular point, that what we are going to have is uh, is a UK banking system and a Scottish banking system and no bank will be able to be operating in both countries, in both jurisdictions. A Scottish bank and it uh, will though however um, uh, be able to ha- I expect to have some kind of arrangements where it can offer its uh, customers sterling accounts. but these are going to be quite complicated. I'm not going to go into the detail of just in a few short uh, just in a few short comments. I think that it's particularly important that what we are saying here is that what we are talking about always is the transfer of assets from one jurisdiction to another. That what we are saying is that currently UK-based assets operating within the UK banking system will transfer into a Scottish banking system. And with those assets will come the ability to capitalise the Scottish Central Bank. And then I just want to move quickly on to what Karen um, has been talking about. And I think that this, um, to me, um, seems particularly interesting. I am less optimistic, I would have to say, than Karen, uh, in the sense that she talks about what is possible through expansion. And it may be that she would say to me that, that, that it's rather like talking to a pre-Keynesian about the possibility of the government expanding um, its expenditure to uh, create, to stimulate demand and keep economic institutions working. But what I would have to say is that when she is talking about money, yes, money is interesting, but at the same time, it, it, essentially monetary claims. I think that this is one of the really important things from the 1970s that we realised that where there is inflation within an economy, Um, Where the money supply, not that the money supply is out of control, but where there are inflationary pressures within an economy, then it's difficult for us to be able to work out where profitable investments are going to be. It's difficult for us to work out where where the economy should be moving. And that is going to be a big challenge if you're going to be trying to, to, to have a transformation such as the Green New Deal. So for me I think that um, when we are talking about expansion we have to be thinking as well about what in economics we call the supply side and we have to be thinking about what the actual productive capacity of the economy is and how that productive capacity is going to be garnered. So it's not just a story about money, money is an important tool but money is not going to be the um, uh, be-all and end-all of this particular story. So really I would have to say that um, just to conclude, um, once again, I have particularly enjoyed reading um, both of Peter's papers. I've enjoyed having um, some discussions with him over the summer. I think that there are uh, important ideas here, um, but really what I would have to be saying is that what I would like to concentrate upon is not just thinking about the payment system, which Peter has been I- I- has been very good at identifying, but also thinking about the ways in which assets are held within the banking system and how those assets are going to flow from the English bank banking system into the Scottish banking system. And I'll just leave it there. Thank you very much, Corrie.
1: Thank you, Robbie. Thank you. I wonder, Peter, if you wanted, uh, as long as you promised to do a couple of minutes, if you wanted to come back in to make some brief comments. Peter?
2: Yeah. Um, so firstly, uh, to Karen's point about discussions, I've been holding discussions for about economics and, and money for most of the last year, but we just happen to be in different parties. So that was why we probably not met in those discussions. On Robbie's point about a central bank digital currency, there was a bit that was going to be longer in, in the, my opening piece, but we sort of ran out of money. What I would like to see is using, using a central bank digital currency as a way of de-risking the, the economy for, for individuals. So if you give people central bank Um, bank accounts, then if there's another banking crisis and there's a good chance there will be another banking crisis because of of the climate emergency, you can isolate their day-to-day banking from the commercial banks. They can can carry on using money in the central bank digital currency. Now, to Robbie's point about secrecy, um, when the digital euro consultation was Carried out banking secrecy was the number one concern about people throughout the, the Eurozone. Um, so the the answer to that, in in my view, would be to have our social, social security system, which I would like to see as a universal basic income, as a separate to the, the bank. And there's a in, in IT terms tokenized link. So you don't hold the two in, in the same database, but you can link them together so you can ultimately find out. Who, are, who an account is owned by. And in that way, you can give everyone a central bank bank account that they can use through a Scottish payment service so that they, the money then is safe, it's available, it's a sort of electronic equivalent of the 1844 Bank Charter Act. But at the, at the same time, the money is not necessarily left the Scottish government it's still sitting in central bank accounts so you could then use use that money for a green bond while people spend it so it's safe money but at the same time it's money that we can then use that money will be there will of course be come out of commercial banks so they would would lend less but it would give a space for the for the Scottish government to invest more because without the same inflationary risk so I think there's that, that's something that we need to explore more. And there is a motion coming up in the Scottish Greens conference around this. But that's something that I think we need to look up you know, in greater depth about how currencies are changing and what the opportunities are with those changing currencies.
1: Thank you, Peter. Dave, you get your hand up.
6: Yeah, thanks, Corey. Can I just say to all the speakers so far, that's been really interesting. and Thanks very much uh, for, for um, talking to us tonight. I um, have swithered for quite a while, uh, but I'm now firmly behind the concept of a of a Scottish currency. Uh, but listening to everything that was said, it strikes me there's kind of there's two different things that we need to do in relation to this. There's a very highly professional and complex uh, discussions, etc., that need to be held to deal with everything that we are going to have to set up, and then. From my perspective, anyway, there are a couple of very simple things that we need to do from a political sense. It it, it just strikes me that politically, as we go into the next Indiref, which hopefully won't be that far away, we've got to make sure that we don't make the currency issue too complicated. Now, I know it's very, very complicated, but from a political perspective and selling independence, we have to have some very simple points. And therefore, much as I would love to um, look at the prospects and the benefits of, say, digital currency, Peter, and so on, um, uh, it sounds fantastic the way it can go and it could be very beneficial. And I think one of your phrases there was, that there are lots of changing currencies. I think for the average person out there, that would scare the brakes off them. Because they don't want lots of changing currencies and uncertainty and new digital currencies that they don't really understand. They just want to have a pound. And that's basically it a sterling pound or a Scots pound. So, from a political perspective on how you sell indie, I think we need to be careful <laughs> about bringing these kind of discussions into the indie debate. Uh, and the other point in the same sort of theme is the, the point about the mortgages and I was interested again in the comments about when we were in the EU, you had an automatic right to to change any currency you wanted. I think it was you that said that, Peter. But not since we came out of the the EU and again from a pure political point of view of selling this on the doorsteps because these are the things that the opposition, the unionists will go straight for. Your mortgage isn't safe. That's it. And that will be their attack. And no amount of uh, intellectual discussion will, will counter that sort of scare type of thing. So again, we need a simple answer from the political campaigning perspective. So Sorry for being on so, so long, Cory, but these are the no. two kind of issues, but they're both related to how you deal with a campaign and how you win the minds. No,
1: perfect.
3: Thank you. Well, if I just respond to Dave, um, you know, it's absolutely essential that we do have a very clear statement about the policy on currency, and that's why the Scottish Currency Group exists. It's why I got the policy of having our own currency as soon as possible, accepted by the SNP conference in 2019, despite what the dear leader seems to think, which is that it's sterlingisation. Uh, so all you need to do, and it's got to come from her, because nobody's going to take much notice of me or anybody else, uh, is that... You know, the policy for an independent Scotland is it would be exactly the same as the rest of the world. We will have our own central bank and our own currency as soon as we can manage it after Independence Day. And so far as the practicalities of that affect people, changing money into the Scottish pound is entirely voluntary. If they don't want to do it, they can keep their money in sterling if that's their choice. So nothing is going to happen to anyone unless they ask for it. So if you don't want a Scottish pound account, don't have one. You know, you'll soon find it's very inconvenient, but you don't have to have it. You can keep all your sterling. Ruth Davidson can have her £320 a day in sterling and keep it under the pillow uh, if that's what she wants to do. There's some, there's some technical issues, but I think it's really quite straightforward. You know, If we didn't have bank accounts and we just used cash, uh, you could do the whole thing in a couple of weeks because all you'd have to do is to take in people's old bank notes and issue some new ones, uh, and that would convert us to the new currency. But it's more complicated because... Most of our money is digital uh, and it's held in bank accounts and therefore we need things like computer networks uh, to allow us to use it.
1: Okay, thanks,
0: Tim. Isabel? Yes, I, I think it's a great pity that this is not the discussion that should have been taking place at least a couple of years ago at Scottish government level. So we had got to the stage now where we were really discussing how we communicate this, because there's a wonderful job to be done in terms of uh, popularizing and communicating this to the public. But I think we've got to distinguish, and I think that's one of the issues perhaps causing a bit of confusion. We've got to distinguish between the great opportunities that having our own central bank and currency will give in relation to macroeconomic policy. And that's a big story. But there's the other side, and it is financial transactions and immediate financial security. Uh, And and that's another kind of story. And I think to some extent, we shouldn't get these too mixed, obviously interrelated, but not too mixed up. Both of them are very, very important. And... um, One of the things that I think we need to build up and learn to use are examples from other countries and other places. I mean, I can think of being in, say, Londonderry, and there you could pay for things with euros or pay for things with pounds in the ordinary shops, and they were all geared up to do both. And just to familiarise people with the fact that there are all kinds of ways of dealing with this which are really not so difficult that we can phase in quite quickly and that we've got this great job. If only we could get agreement on the principle of having your currency, what a great job we could focus on in communicating all the advantages and how
4: we could do it.
1: Thank you, Isabel. Karen.
4: Yeah, going to the SNP's position. Um, I was at the conference, as were uh, over a thousand people, that we saw the resolution go through to have a Scottish currency as soon as practicable. So be assured that that is the SNP position. I've just recently had a resolution gone through for a, a job guarantee. That's also the SNP party's position. Of course, whether the elected representatives that we have in the Parliament take forward these resolutions is a different matter. So, as you all have understood by now, so, but that is the SNP party's position. We will have a new currency as soon as practicable. The other thing to think about with a currency, I mean, I used to be involved in the transition town movement, and there were a couple of places in Lewes and Sussex and Totnes and Devon, they had already started their local currencies. So starting a currency is not a problem but the thing is getting it accepted and when you are a sovereign government with everything that goes with that, you, getting your currency accepted is much more easy of course, you have a standing army, all of the things that go with being a country per se. So um, will, you, will it be accepted? Yes, because the civil servants will be paid in the Scottish currency, pensions will be paid, social security will be paid, if private businesses want to interact with these civil servants, people that are in receipt of pensions and Social Security, then they would be best to start working in the new Scottish currency as quickly as possible. So it will be accepted. It will absolutely be accepted. Um, so I think that's important for people to think about with a new currency. Can I also just say as well that I've started a YouTube program with William Thompson called Scotonomics. We are trying to educate people as much as possible about economics. If you find this is something you're interested in, please check out our programme. We're hoping to go to a weekly programme and we're hoping to uh, maybe fund it as well. I'm setting up a Patreon account soon um, and if people want to get involved with that as well, then we'll set up regular meetings where we can discuss which guests we'll have on and what questions we'll ask them. OK, that's all I wanted to say.
7: Thanks, Karen. Um, Ian Grant. Uh, I'm just going to pursue a little bit more of what Isabel and, and Dave were saying about the, the basic level of currency with the public. I, I think, actually, since 2014, things have got a bit better, and especially with COVID, because contact plus, you know, card payments are everywhere, which even seven years ago wasn't the case. Uh, digital payments are everywhere, which wasn't the case. And so perhaps people's, emotional attachment to the pound sterling is slightly less than it was at that time but there's still anxieties we've already discussed the mortgage issue uh, but the other one of course is pensions for folk who've got private pensions uh, perhaps based in London or in you know in sterling and these issues I, I just feel have to be absolutely worked out and explained I don't I think they've got to be faced. It's not just currency, there's lots of other things, I think, going into this next India f 2 have really got to be faced. We sort of tried to sweep things under the carpet a little bit in 2014, and say nothing's going to change what it is. And uh, I just wondered what folk thought about the pensions thing in particular, but also the more general issue of, of facing these currency changes. That's going on the basis that I feel that a new currency is totally inevitable, uh, and, and and not sterlingisation.
0: Uh,
7: yeah, well, I think um,
3: there's a there's a long um, question and answer section on the um, Reserve website, which does cover things like mortgages, pensions, uh, and so forth. On the pensions front, uh, I think I think it's pretty inevitable that um, there will be an agreement between the Scottish government and the UK government that. Uh, the state pension will transfer to Scotland. Uh, I'm going to call it the Scottish Universal Pension. Uh, SNP policy is to increase it to about £300 per week per person. Um, So I think that that should be a great benefit to state pensioners. They finally get out of being paupers. Um, so, So I think that's what's going to happen with the state pension. Obviously, uh, you know, we can use that as a bargaining chip and say, right, well, you can take your national de- debt and shove it and we'll take over the state pension. Uh, you know, end of discussion, because otherwise they would be liable to pay the state pension in international law. So uh, on the private pensions, then it it's, depends a bit who your provider is. Um, you know, If it's somebody like Aviva, which is a UK company, uh, they're probably going to carry on paying it in sterling. Um uh, we can try and persuade them to have uh, you know, Aviva Scotland, for example, and then transfer people who wish to move their Aviva annuity or whatever to the Scottish subsidiary and get it paid in Scottish pounds instead, um, but uh, you know, that you can't, we can't force them to do that if they don't want to. Um, you could look at then maybe transferring the pension fund to a Scottish provider and getting them to pay it in Scottish pounds. Um, somebody like Scottish Widows, which is, is, is in Scotland, I would suspect that they would set up some sort of uh, Scottish pension funds or um, annuities and offer people the opportunity to shift out of the sterling one and into a Scottish pound one uh, instead. Uh, but the, you know, obviously, the, uh, if you have a company pension, let's say you worked for British Airways, I think you're going to be stuck and it's going to be paid in sterling whether you like it or not. So uh, you know, an employer that uh, is a bit more active in Scotland, like, say, the Scottish universities, or the, the university superannuation scheme, uh, I suspect they would divide it into, you know, the superannuation scheme, Scotland superannuation scheme, UK. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you if you worked for Edinburgh University or something, then you'd, you'd get your pension payment in sterling, in, in Scottish pounds, rather, and your contributions would be in Scottish pounds.
0: One of the questions that is going to be very important in terms of the short-term transition, uh, I, you know, I recognise, uh, I think, in general, people would be reasonably comfortable with it, the varying values of uh, Scottish and Brit pounds. But in the initial period, two, three years, one, two, three years, the there is this question, and this is something which will be very much used uh, against us, of will they be kept at par, the the Brit and the the Scottish pound, because that's very important for the first year or two.
6: Yeah, just a wee a wee follow up on um, again just down to kind of practical politics on the doorstep and. Um, I fully understand that the the use of debt and deficit in in, in relation to a a state country isn't the same as the normal use of that word as the public understand it. But to be honest, to be quite frank, I don't think we have a hope of getting that message through to people in a broad sense. What we would have to do is, is convince people in positions that support independence, who are in high positions, that people would trust to sort of come out and and, uh, make little statements about that. But I think it'll be very, very difficult, if not impossible, to get that message across to to the general public. And of course, the unionists will play on it and they will mislead and they will sloganise it. And and we need to have counter uh, slogans, I suppose. One thing that really struck me there about the the discussion about the pensions and the, the state debt, to me, is a very simple person. I think that's a perfect, a brilliant political ploy. Yes, you just say, "Yeah, you keep your debt. You don't try and explain to folk that it's not really a debt. It's just something that people talk about uh, because they're not going to. You keep your 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 debt, your national debt. We, we'll not take any, and we'll relieve you of the burden of providing the pensions uh, or or something along those lines." and As a campaigning thing, you know, swapping the debt for the pension liability. I can't remember, was it, um, I think it was Robbie it might have mentioned, I I can't remember. I I think that's the sort of thing, from a campaigning point of view, that that we should latch onto. And we'll need a number of these sort of campaigning points that we just hammer constantly. And that's how we'll win the argument. We'll not win it uh, amongst the general voting public with this kind of discussion, I don't think, because it's far too deep for the vast majority of them.
1: Okay, thanks. Um, I'll bring Tim in and then Cairn again. And maybe, Tim, I don't know what you're going to say, but if you can maybe speak about how he expects the, par- yeah, the parity with Stirling to be maintained, if you could maybe touch on that.
3: Well, just, just firstly, on the on the... You know, the, the debts, uh, you know, it is a, it's a double entry accounting system. So what is from the government's point of view looks like the national debt is the national savings from the citizens' point of view. So, you know, lots of people have premium bonds. They have national savings certificates. There's a big department in East Kilbride called the Department of National Savings. That's that's your savings. It's your assets. But it's part of the national debt, seen from the government's point of view. So I think, you know, if you, if you point out to people that... Um, the national debt is just your savings. You know, you bought a premium bond; you own part of the national debt, uh, you know, or whatever. Then maybe people that might help people to see that uh, it's not some big scary thing that uh, you know is going to be a millstone round their children's uh, necks. You know, the children are going to be delighted to get a premium bond; they're not going to see it as a sort of horrific burden. Now, on the um, uh, the timetables for the new currency, well, it's all set out um, uh, on the uh, Scottish Reserve Bank website. I've had to sort of uh, as Corrie will appreciate, I think for the fifth time I've had to put it back a year. <laughs> you know, we started off with the new currency, sort of with the independence referendum in 2019. I've now on to 2024 or something, I think. You've got about sort of probably two two to two and a half years or so between uh, the uh, independence vote and the actual independence day. And I think, you know, as Peter says, we could have some banknotes introduced during that period. But I don't think the UK is going to allow any wide circulation of a competing currency uh, within the UK before Independence Day. So, you know, I I just don't think they're going to uh, agree to that. So I think the new currency comes into use shortly after Independence Day, which is when the Scottish government starts using it for official payments and receipts. Uh, And that's when the widespread use of the banknotes is going to start as well, but that they're they're a very minor component of uh, currency. And I envisage a period as maybe... um, to three months uh, as an exchange period where where we we have a temporary peg of one-to-one between sterling and uh, the Scottish pound and there's no exchange charges, people can convert uh, some savings if they wish to do so, Uh, they can start setting about remortgaging and so on during that period and then after that, so we're talking maybe sort of four or five months after independence day, uh, then the currency will start to float and at that point, the values between sterling and the Scottish pound will diverge. You may well find then that um, you know, shopkeepers are not quite so happy to accept a Bank of England note. They may start charging you a bit extra, which is probably what happens in Londonderry. Certainly in Switzerland, you can use a euro, but they charge you extra. And if you use a sterling debit card after that point, then you're going to get a two and a half percent foreign exchange fee on it. You know, Ruth Davidson will find that you know, trying to keep all that money in sterling isn't very convenient. Uh, uh, once we get to that point
1: okay thanks i'll bring karen in and then i've got a question from peter and then i'll bring robbie in just coming back to what dave was saying i'm sorry i
4: thought i thought you were being a little bit de- uh, negative there dave um, so um i think that um yeah getting the message across about how this will all work and getting it to places of power and people in power to talk about it yes we're busy with that you know we're really busy with that both with modern money scotland with scotonomics with the scottish currency uh, the scottish reserve bank the scottish currency group and um, modern money scotland we're, we're all busy with that right now so you know join in share the stuff on social media you know that the mainstream media are not going to help us with this they're not going to help it you have to get on social media twitter facebook um whatever whichever social media you prefer to use but you know get busy spreading the message and talk to people about how this works and share some of our resources we uh, you know my my um attack on this is that yes i've got myself elected onto the policy development committee so has tim we've got ourselves into those positions in order that you know we can again contact people speak to people about this um at the grassroots level but you know also I'm hoping with some of the other stuff that we're doing, that we're pushing our politicians a little bit and certainly I have noticed since 2019 that uh, Nicola Sturgeon is changing her language a little bit about talking about the debt and she's not admitting it to us having a deficit anymore. She's saying we are balancing our books, which is the truth because we don't issue a currency. So um, yeah, that's, I think it's, things are changing slowly. Um, I feel hopeful about it and more and more people are getting interested. I don't know if any of you are following uh, economics very much, but certainly things are changing in Congress as well. And recently a congressman called John Yarmouth has started to really talk about how things could be quite different and how really government is there to really provision for the country and that's its role and really getting to, to think about your government really in those terms as well that's actually really what it's there for and um, we elect people who we think are clever to help look after all of us that's that's surely the point of having a government unfortunately that doesn't seem to be the case of the current UK government at the moment so you know that that's that's we've got to be thinking about things in that way so I want to be I just want to please say to people be positive about this don't be negative about this. Be positive about this all the time. And, and, and that
1: way you'll persuade people. Okay, thanks, Karen.
6: Now just um, to quickly. Very quickly, I wasn't trying to be negative. I'm just looking at the practicalities of campaigning. So, you know, I, I take your point. I'm always positive about everything. But when you're discussing this sort of thing, there needs to be constructive criticism that people can take on board.
1: Thanks, David. So this is um, Peter has, has asked me to... Say this, so David Thompson talks about currency and making it simplistic for the electorate. To quote a TV show, ten-word answers can kill you in political campaigns. Complexity isn't a vice. When all current polling highlights that the preferable option is to retain the Great British Pound in the short term, three to five years, before inevitably choosing a Scottish currency, are we not forgetting the obvious? It will be the decision of whoever is elected to Scottish Government to decide what an i-scot will do with currency currency union with our UK or a new currency it's good to have a plan and a blueprint but it's not a foregone conclusion and I think Robbie you were going to come in and then if somebody wants to pick up in any of that points.
5: I was wondering whether to take a file finding the unmute button so that I could think about that particular one. Um, I think that in practical terms and I I think that this one one of the things which Tim has actually been quite clear about is that we are probably looking at a three year period. I I think Peter's paper as well also emphasises that we're probably looking at three years in order to be able to get to the stage when we have a Scottish currency. Now, um, there are all sorts of ways that we could do this. One of the things which struck me as very odd in 2014 was that we were going to get everything done for setting up a new state in 18 months with really almost no preparation preparations beforehand and uh, you know what, what tim describes in his work in particular because he's very interested in institutions is really a five year process which begins 2 years before the referendum with the formation of a scottish monetary institute my view is that you'll know if the Scottish government is, to, when, you, you'll be able to work out pretty much when the Scottish government is intending to have a referendum, not when it publishes a referendum bill, but when it publishes a bill in order to create that Scottish Monetary Institute, because that's one of the first signs that it's putting in place the measures that it will need after, um, after independence and the Scottish Monetary Institute forerunner to the central bank. Um, by the way, we need a central bank whether or not we're going to have our own currency because the central bank has the job of um, ha- has the job of being the banker to the government, as Karen has, um, although it is already part of the government, as Karen has explained. But also, uh, so we can perhaps think of it as being the money issuing department of the government. But also something which is extremely important is that it regulates the rest of the banking system and it provides the liquidity which the rest of the banking system needs. And bluntly, it stops the rest of the banking system doing what they did in 2008. That's the job of a central bank. So we're going to need a central bank anyway. We're going to need a monetary institute. This is not something that can be done overnight. And if we only start doing it after um, we've had the referendum, then probably we are looking for five years afterwards. um, And we probably are starting to get onto something which looks fairly like the Growth Commission's timetable. So, um, that, that really was, I think, the point that I was wanting to make. Someone has said here, Richard Murphy has suggested that an independent Scotland should regulate Scottish banks to do only what is permitted, whereas UK banks can do anything except what is not permitted. I'm not going to get into that. Instead, I'm going to talk about one of my favourite subjects, which is the Canadian banking system. And Canada has an interesting structure in which the, banking, the Bank Act has to be renewed every five years. Now, that means that, the, bank, that, that the, the powers which Canadian banks have are discussed democratically. And also within that, Canada has also very sensibly, um, the, the, it's not the central bank which regulates banks, by the way, in Canada. It's a separate government uh, or non-governmental institution, the Office of the Supervisor of Financial Institutions. And what, that, what, what all of this means is that Canada's largest banks the equivalent of RBS and Bank of Scotland, have been told they will not be allowed to enter into any mergers. The kind of ridiculous buying up everything that moved and some things that didn't move, but loads of things which just weren't making money, which Fred Goodwin engaged in in the run-up to 2008, couldn't happen in Canada. The regulators wouldn't allow it. So, um, I think that what, what, what we can see quite straightforwardly, the, the, the point which Richard Murphy is making is very important, that if you have good governance of your banking system, then it's much more likely to be stable. Um, I'll stop there before I'm turning into this into an into an economics lecture.
1: Thank you, Robbie. Thank you. I think just to um, pick up on a couple of points, um, kidding talked earlier on a bit economics being deeply boring i'm, I'm not sure it, it is boring because i'm i'm the odd one out in this group here because i'm one of these people that find economics figures really scary because my brain just doesn't wrap around it i think it is more that it is for, for some people it's complex it's scary to even start thinking about it because we've already heard how complex things are um and i think also robbie's point to peter about his background I think that's an important point because actually everybody views the world from their own perspective and their own background and that. So when we think about 5.2 million people in Scotland, that's a lot of viewpoints, a lot of backgrounds um, to be able to distill that down. And I think Isabel's point about seven years been wasted, absolutely correct, because, you know, all that work could have been done in this time um, to get us to a, a, further down the line than we already are. And whilst I, I totally um, understand, Kieran, that, that you guys have done loads of work, but again, if economics is not somebody's interest, how do we get them to come over to even think about it? Do you know what I mean? Um, because cause they won't come to a discussion like this because it will be like, oh, no, that's, that's not me, it's too scary. And I think that's what Dave's point is about how we can distill that right down to just general Joe public, you know, make it understandable. Because the reality is, in really simplistic terms, it doesn't matter about currency because we could be using chocolate buttons. It doesn't matter. There's no country in the world does not have a currency. But it's just about how we get people to understand that. And I think Dave's point, again, about... The unionists and their taglines um they are super good at being able to scare people with one line it's your pension you'll not get your pen you'll know do this and, you know and I, I think as a as an independence movement we need to get a bit better at um, doing these taglines lines, drilling it down drilling it down um, so is that the repetition if you like because my own personal opinion is that um whilst the white paper was great Actually, I think we ended up in a bit of a trap because it almost we, we tried to answer every conceivable question that might have been out there, when in actual fact, who knows what an independent Scotland's going to look like. But the point is, it doesn't matter because we've got the capabilities of being able to deal with it. So that's just the, the kind of things that I've, I've picked up so far. So I will bring in John and then Tim and then
5: Karen. Hey, thanks, Corey. Um, Clearly there's no disagreement about the principle eh, of whether there should be a Scottish currency and there's various other people not part of the conversation tonight who are firmly of that view and I think that movement is actually growing. Um, But there's clearly differences in uh, how this should happen, you know, the method, the speed, uh, the timing, etc. And I mean, on one hand, that's, that's healthy, it's, you know, it's the kind of thing that should be being discussed. But inevitably, that gives us a problem with unionists who use the argument uh, to go into David's uh, Dave's doorstep with them. They can't even agree amongst themselves. So how can you trust any of them? And um, on one hand, it's inevitable that that difference be there. Is there a way that publicly these views can be aligned you know, at a high level uh, for campaigning purposes?
3: It's got to come out of the mouth of the First Minister. I think we've come back to that issue that... Uh... You know, if she would just, on her next TV appearance, say, our party policy is that after independence, we're going to introduce our own currency and have our own central bank, that would be the end of the discussion. Uh, but, you know, until she does that, there's going to be an ongoing problem. Now, I've put into the chatter um, uh, the results of an opinion poll question that we got, um, I think it was panel-based, uh, to insert into an opinion poll they were doing last uh, Uh, November, with some funding from Ian at the Independence Foundation uh, and um, assistance of uh, James Kelly at Scott Goes Pop. So when asked the question about, uh, you know, do they think Scotland should have its own currency? uh, And, you know, this is a standard opinion poll company. The audience is not biased in only unionists or only independent supporters or whatever. 59% said they thought that Scotland should have its own currency if it becomes independent. And that includes, I think, something like 13% of Tory voters. So, you know, if you ask the right question, not something like, do you want to keep the pound? Because obviously everyone's going to say, yes, they want to keep the pound because nobody likes change. But if you say, you know, change is going to happen, we're going to be independent, should we have our own currency? Most people already realise that's, you know, 60%, 59% realise that that's what you do when you become independent, whether they're yes or no. So, you know, I would say, I always say to people, you know, Oh, but uh, we want to keep the pound. Well, we are going to keep the pound. It's just not the English one. Nothing changes. You know, the 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 all the labels on the price tickets and so forth in the shop are exactly the same after independence as they are now. The restaurant menus exactly the same. Uh, you know, the only thing that happens uh, is that there's a little s in front of the pound instead of just a pound In terms of practical effect on the person in the streets, then. They're not going to notice anything different from, say, when the Clydesdale brings out a different different designer banknote.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tim Kieran, and then Isabel. Um, so,
4: uh, going to what you said first of all, Corey, and then what uh, John said. So, about the complexity, I read a, another author called John Weeks, and he talked about how he had friends who were medics; um, they were doctors of medicine. And they were scared to uh, learn about economics. The, the, uh, you know, despite the fact that I know many of my medics friends are very comfortable with mathematics, it's not an issue for them. They still are afraid of economics. And you know, my degree's anatomical sciences. I, I, you know, I just uh, I, I love economics. I find it really deeply fascinating. It's uh, uh, it's it's not that complicated. It's not like trying to learn about electron shells, for example or uh, uh, genetic pathways, it's not that level of complexity at all, I would counter. Um, so, you know, any, any medics that are thinking about learning about economics, I'd say it's actually not that hard. Uh, so getting over your, your fear of the complexity. From different points of view, I think um, for us as campaigners, I think there's a level of, of understanding that you need to have. You First of all, you need to understand that a currency is a fiat currency. It is, it is not linked to gold anymore. That stopped completely in 1971. I think a lot of people still think that currency is linked to gold. I, I believe that a lot of people still think of currency as a commodity. It's not. I mean, uh, another economist that I spoke to recently, he described it as a metric. You know, um, he, he was talking about Iceland. We, we interviewed recently an economist on Iceland and he was talking about how the people in Iceland were sort of blaming their currency on their circumstances. The, the metric is not the problem. It's what the politicians do, what re- real resources you've got in your country. It's those things that are going to affect the metric. Um, but that's what your currency in some respects is, you know, going back to what John said about the SNP, the leadership frequently don't, they, well, they don't talk about the currency, but what they say all the time is the powers of independence. And I think that this is seen as being more politically um, Pleasing—it's more of a politically pleasing thing to say. So you know, they—they um, they understand that you having your own currency is going to make you independent. But I think their their advice that they get from the special advisors and things like that is that the the idea of having a own currency is really scary for a lot of people, and it doesn't poll well. So they're thinking about it maybe from a political point of view. But the problem comes when our politicians go on the mainstream media and they and, and they they try to not talk about a currency. They they, they end up being intellectually evasive. Um, because it does independence doesn't make sense without our own currency
0: but we can't allow the idea that we can have a good few years drift, you know, going back to what Robbie point Robbie had made on this question of independence. Uh, we drift along with what, some kind of sterlingisation for a few years without currency. We cannot do that. It would be better to postpone currency independence for a year or two to ensure that we are ready early with our currency, which is why we need the preparations starting now, the thinking, the decisions. And this has been made so much more apparent because of the COVID pandemic. Because I remember Andrew Wilson being challenged, just challenged on paper, <laughs> about how sterlingization would cope with a crisis situation. He never answered it, of course. But we, this will be presented to us time and again, validly, uh, oh, if we had had to deal with the the demands of a pandemic or any other kind of major crisis without our own currency, effective central bank and so on, how would we have done it? And we would be stuck for proper answers on that, which is why we have to be quite clear that we need that currency ready for independence. And what is happening now, I think what has happened uh, in terms of SNP leadership is that, yes, there's been all kinds of, oh, don't frighten the horses, don't frighten the Edinburgh financial uh, community, that is the priority, that would destabilise. I mean, that's where a lot of it is sort of the very conservative thinking is coming from. And this is why we've got to be clear, no, it is not enough to say, Oh, yes in principle we're in favour a few years down the line it has got to be we have got to be ready with this when
1: we establish independence. Thank you Isabel, I'll bring in Peter and then the final comment will be from Tim.
2: Yeah um, on the campaigning perspective um, unfortunately most of the people who seem to be making the decisions around the currency or not in relation to independence are very sort of middle-class Edinburgh bankers, and for them, the sterling works for them, It works for the you know, the banking community. What I would use um, as a campaigning tool is to say, with independence, we're going to have a more social democratic Scotland than the UK's. We can only do that, and the currency is part of doing that. The Cur- currency gives us the tools to allow us to have a better, so yeah, better welfare state, and if you put it in those sort of terms, then most people in Scotland would agree with you. Yeah, they'd say, yeah, we want we want to end food banks. Yeah, we want to make sure that people have decent lives, decent homes, and we can't do that with with sterling. Sterling doesn't work for the people of Scotland, and that's the message. We should be trying to say. Thank you Peter. Tim?
3: Well okay that's good to two things. First for Isabel, you need to think about the process like India for example. So 1945 British government announced that India was becoming independent, dispatched Lord Mountbatten to be the last viceroy and said that the independence day was going to be two and a half years later at the end of August in 1947. So that's what you're talking about with Scotland. You know, the, the independence referendum is not independence. You know, the, if we, let's say we have the, the referendum in September 2023. We're talking about maybe St. Andrew's Day two and a half years, two and a bit years later as Independence Day. So, you know, we, we carry on using Sterling and we're run by the Bank of England and so forth in that interregnum uh, while the negotiations and so forth take place with the UK and we get the Ministry of Finance and the you know, the Ministry of Defence and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and all of those sort of things put in place, plus, of course, uh, the central bank. So uh, we can then therefore be ready within a month or two of independence to introduce the currency. Uh, and you know, which brings me neatly to sterlingization. You know, sterlingization does, doesn't work. I was in a talk with the um, uh, uh, trade union group recently, where Andrew Wilson was debating uh, currency with uh, Laurie McFarlane, who's a professional economist and Wilson conceded at one point that the whole sterlingization plan was to protect the wealth uh, of the financial sector and the large landowners so you know that's what sterlingization is about it's to protect them so do, do we really want that but there's a more technical reason that why sterlingization doesn't work because it depends on having access to the UK payment system And it depends on our banks having reserve accounts at the Bank of England. The Bank of England will not allow that. They may allow it for a short period, you know, they give us six months notice or something. But without an agreement between the Scottish government and the UK government, sometime after independence, the Bank of England will switch us off, which means that the payment system stops working. uh, Nothing comes out of the cash machine. uh, You can't pay anyone or receive anything. And effectively, our sterling has just disappeared. So you can't do that. I had the Council Commons Library research this and there is no foreign bank that has full access to the Bank of England systems and there is no foreign bank that has a reserve account at the Bank of England. They, you know, If they want that, they have to set up a UK subsidiary which is controlled by the Bank of England. So, you know, a Scottish bank, so far as the Bank of England, is concerned, will be foreign and it will therefore not be allowed. So you know, that's the end of sterlingisation. It won't work.
2: You realise that's changing with their new real-time gross settlement system and the payment system would continue to work in if, you know, because you would just route it through RBS in Scotland and then RBS in Scotland would post it to RBS in England and it would route itself. So that, that argument's not valid. Well, it's still a very exposed
3: position to be sitting outside the sterling zone trying to use sterling, you know, even if you can find a way by which it doesn't break down.
1: Okay, guys, I'm, I'm kind of conscious of the, the, the time here. So I just would like to thank our panel, Peter, Tim, Karen and Robbie um, for taking part in the discussion and obviously to the audience as well. It's been fantastic to see people joining us tonight um, and getting involved and, or just listening. Um, either way, it's been fantastic. So I think the big question going forward is, and John picked it up, is, you know, if the yes movement can't agree, if we don't know the how, when, where, how do we convince others to do that? How do we get that consensus? And I think Robbie's point was that we need greater discussion. That's the reality. And also somebody mentioned about looking at other countries. Let's see what's already worked elsewhere. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. And that will give people confidence when they can see what has worked elsewhere. The biggest thing for me is it's just so refreshing to have respectful debate. Um, and that that's what we need going forward because you know we, we can't have a situation where people are just stuck in there this is my way and this is my way and, and there's no middle ground we need to come to some kind of consensus to get this right for everybody and for that 5.2 million people so let's let's do more of this guys because I think it, um, it's really useful and and if we can widen the audience space even better so thank you very much everybody Good evening, and um, hopefully we'll see you again some point soon.